Hey everybody, this is Justin from FrugalSnobs.com. I hope everyone enjoyed episode 20 of the Frugal Snobs podcast, the award-winning on-demand audio experience. That is the Frugal Snobs podcast. That's never won an award, but that could all change, as I'd like to say. As we lead into episode 21 of the show, I wanted to give a couple of updates and also a quick drink review for the Neon Gypsy from Declaw Brewing of Baltimore, Maryland. Now, before I get into the updates, we'll go ahead and get the QDR, the quick drink review, out of the way. Now, I'm enjoying my Neon Gypsy out of a Sam Adams Perfect Pint. One moment. Ooh. Not terribly bad. Um, for an IPA enthusiast such as myself, um, this is a very nice brew for you. It has a nice leave in the glass. I would say it's probably rocking maybe between 60 and 75 IBUs, although there are no posted IBUs for this particular uh, IPA. I'm going strictly on taste. I would serve this uh, probably in, in the cold, the very cold category, 42, maybe 45 degrees, um, 6.5% ABV. I would definitely serve this uh, probably with something salty, maybe something a bit bassy as well to kind of cut some of that 6.5% ABV. Um, definitely has a nice amber color to it. Uh, taste to the palate, a very tart, bitter taste. But as soon as you swallow, you, you find that you're craving more of it. So it doesn't really coat the mouth uh, too horribly bad and does not leave a bad taste aftertaste in the mouth. So definitely check it out. I would give this probably a four to four and a half uh, snob rating in terms of stars. And so four, four and a half out of five stars snob rating. Um, again, Neon Gypsy from Claw Brewing from Baltimore, Maryland. Now, as a couple of additional updates as we lead into episode 21, I am not a television uh, enthusiast, as I've mentioned on this show in the past, but I have become a Hulu Plus junkie. Now, in a show that I have mentioned in the past on this show uh, called Live Free or Die from the National Geographic Channel, cool show, you can check out previews at natgeotv.com, um, apparently there are some updated uh, new episodes for this show that I have not seen. Now, I will be checking out an episode very soon, more than likely this evening, in which our friend Thorn, Avery Wilder from North Carolina, will be building a boat to hunt beaver. So I'm definitely looking forward uh, to this episode. Uh, so check it out, folks. Live Free or Die from the National Geographic Channel. National Geographic, National Geographic Channel. Uh, neither are a sponsor of the Fruitless Knobs podcast. So check it out. Also, again, as a Hulu Plus junkie, I have started to take a look at some additional shows, including Chef Race. Now, I am a huge fan of culinary shows when it comes to TV. But I like the blended concept from this show. It's actually available from the BBC. You can check it out on Hulu+. Plus. Uh, Chef Race is basically The Amazing Race meets Master Chef. So basically there are eight U.S. chefs who are competing against eight British chefs in culinary challenges across the country. They are racing from Los Angeles to New York City, completing challenges at checkpoints throughout the, throughout the uh, journey. And, of course, the winner will take home $100,000. So a very interesting show, very interesting concept. So I've seen a couple of episodes, really looking forward to seeing the rest of uh, the current season. So great job by the BBC. So check it out, Chef Race, you can check it out on Hulu+. Plus. Now, final item before we get into episode 21, uh, I would encourage everyone this season to get your flu shot. Uh, I got mine yesterday. Uh, flu season is upon us here in the U.S., uh, particularly uh, susceptible if you're on the east coast of the U.S., in the northeast up into New England and also, of course, in the Midwest, uh, given our harsh winters that we tend to have. So get your flu shot, folks. And for anyone who's considering getting your flu shot, which I highly recommend, I'd suggest that you check out Walgreens for their Get a Shot, Give a Shot program. Now, unlike others who, are, of course, are offering flu shots, Walgreens actually, through their Get a Shot, Give a Shot program, allows you to get your flu shot for an affordable price, of course, and in the process, also give a shot 
to an individual in a developing country. So not only are you helping yourself out, but you're also helping out someone else in a developing country at the same time. So it's a pretty cool program. Definitely check it out at Walgreens. Get a shot, give a shot, and take care of yourself. Now, finally, before we get into episode 21 of the show, I did want to point out that I had mentioned uh, in episode 20 that we'll be actually adjusting some of our content for the blog at FruitlessKnobs.com. And on Mondays, we're going to be having and featuring Make It Monday, in which we basically will be posting a healthy recipe that is frugal in terms of it's not going to break the bank for you, but it's healthy and nutritious, all natural and organic. And we eat pretty healthy, and we'd really like to share that with everyone uh, who supports us as well by giving back to you. So tomorrow, for our first Make It Monday, you're going to be seeing the chicken, turkey, bacon, crescent rolls. These are pretty good, folks. Um, Very interesting concept. I've enjoyed these on a few occasions myself, and we're looking forward to getting that post out tomorrow. So check it out on Make It Monday at FrugalSnobs.com. And next week, you'll be introduced to some pretty cool spring rolls uh, that we were able to uh, create today. I enjoyed them uh, just actually about an hour ago. Pretty good, pretty good stuff. So check out the spring roll recipe. You'll find it at FrugalSnobs.com on Make It Monday. So you'll find that in two weeks from Make It Monday. So check it out. As always, be well, never pay retail, take care of yourself, stay healthy, stay strong, and enjoy episode 21. Hey everybody, this is Justin from FrugalSnobs.com. Today is Saturday, October the 3rd, 2015. Welcome both to October and to episode 21 of the Frugal Snobs podcast, the on-demand audio award-winning experience. That's never won an award, but that could all change as I'd like to say. So, I'll go ahead and kick it off this week with our shameless plugs. And then we'll get into this week's episode. So as always, you can find out more about us at frugalsnobs.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash frugalsnobs, on Twitter at twitter.com slash frugalsnobs, or at frugalsnobs. And you can also use the hashtag frugalsnobs, all one word, to keep the discussion going. You can see a gallery of all the images that are related to all the posts that we're sending out on a daily basis by going to Tumblr and checking us out at frugalsnobs.tumblr.com. You can also check us out on YouTube, um, or by going to videos.frugalsnobs.com. It'll take you to our YouTube channel, and this way you can catch the video version of this podcast as well as other videos that we'll be putting up each and every single week. So looking forward to that. That's our latest edition. And again, that's videos.frugalsnobs.com. Now, of course, to bring you these episodes every single week and to produce this show, those costs um, are not exactly insignificant. They're pretty significant. And to help us out with that, Uh, We have a couple of items that you can assist us with. Uh, The first way to help us, of course, is to do all of your Amazon shopping through Frugal Snobs using our associate link. So you would simply go to frugalsnobs.com, search for your item on Amazon by using the Amazon search widget on the homepage, click on your item from the search results, you'll be taken to an Amazon landing page, Um, and from there you can, of course, purchase your item using your standard or prime Amazon account. And in exchange for that and helping us out, Amazon will kick back a few bucks to us to help cover promotional costs and, of course, production costs of this show. So it's a pretty easy way uh, to help us out by doing your standard Amazon shopping like you normally would uh, just by using the, the link that you'll find at frugalsnobs.com by using the search widget. All right, the other way you can help us out, of course, is by taking the PodTrack survey. 
um, that helps us collect demographic data, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, to help us align not only content for this show, but also assist us in lining up potential sponsors for this show. Now, all the content on this show is organic. We have no sponsors. I'm not a huge fan of ad copy, but if we're going to, to include ad copy on this show, I would rather have it be ad copy that you can use and that's beneficial. So to help us out with that, you can simply go to frugalsnobs.com, click on podcast. From there, you'll be uh, presented with a link to follow, and from there, give five to ten minutes of your time by taking the PodTrack survey. This way we can collect some demographic data and, again, align not only uh, information so that we can produce better content, but also so that we can line up some potential sponsors for this show. We're looking forward to that. So, again, please do go take the PodTrack survey. Now, in addition to the Amazon effort and also, of course, the PodTrack survey, another way that you can assist us is by directly donating to the Frugal Snobs Project. As of this week, we've set up a PayPal donate uh, functionality on the Frugal Snobs uh, website. So if you go to the Frugal Snobs uh, homepage at frugalsnobs.com, you'll see a donate button toward the bottom of the page. Simply click it, and from there, you can simply donate an amount of your choosing via PayPal. And again, every little bit helps folks, and we really do appreciate it. All right. So, getting into this week's show, we had a really, really big episode last week with episode 20. Uh, We really appreciate all the support and all the comments and feedback that we received on that episode. Also, just to let everyone know, episode 20 is the highest rated episode for direct downloads of this show to date. So, really, really happy about that. We're seeing some huge numbers in terms of increases in direct download traffic. As always, you can also catch this show on Stitcher or, of course, for absolutely free by subscribing on iTunes. Um, again, this way you won't miss an episode each and every single week. It will be, of course, downloaded to the device of your choice. Again, either by using Stitcher or by using iTunes, you can easily subscribe uh, to this show and add it to a playlist. So by all means, please do so. And for anyone who would like to, of course, directly um, consume this show via the podcast feed, um, please do let us know by sending an email to contact frugalsnobs.com. We'll be more than happy to send out the feed URL to you, and you'll be able to, of course, capture this show as it hits the wire every single week using your podcatcher of choice. And we'll talk more about podcatchers here shortly uh, on on this week's episode. Okay. So I also wanted to uh, mention that I do have a story this week. Again, here in Northern Virginia, it's starting to get a bit cool in terms of the weather. Uh, We have, of course, Hurricane Joaquin to deal with uh, in the area. Now, supposedly it will not be hitting us here in the area, but we will be getting some decent rain over the next couple of days from the event, and we've actually been receiving rain since last week, Wednesday. So pardon me, folks, for just a second. I'm going to clear my throat a bit. I have a sip of this really nice Sumatra blend that uh, I was able to pick up from my local Harris Teeter grocery store. Um, Very nice, uh, very affordable, by the way, for anybody who's into, of course, organic uh, coffee as well. Sumatra roast is actually pretty good, decent blend. Um, And I have a pretty big cup this week, so I'll be talking until my cup is empty. That is my rule. (laughs) So as I was saying, um, Hurricane Joaquin looks like it's coming through the area, um, at least in the northeast uh, portion of the country. Looks like it may be headed toward New England at this point. But again, nonetheless, we've received some significant rainfall over the past few days Pardon me, from um, the events surrounding the hurricane. So... Um, we've been dealing with some pretty wet weather here, a little dreary, pretty cool. It's about 50 degrees this morning. As I record this episode, it's just before 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time U.S. And um, again, a little bit drier right now, but still a little chilly, uh, probably around 50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, <clears throat> looking forward to getting through the fall. And of course, winters here are a challenge for all of us, so 
really would like to get through the winter uh, pretty easily. Now, my story this week has to do with the events around the hurricane. <clears throat> Pardon me. Clear my throat a bit. But this week's um, story um, really is a bit unique. Um, I, I, I currently live, at least here from the studio, uh, roughly five minutes uh, from my office, uh, where I, of course, uh, work as a consultant for an arm of the DOD. And, um, you know, it's a pretty typical walk. It's five to seven minutes, not a big deal. Um, but unfortunately this week I had to deal with a fallen tree on my way into the office. So interestingly enough, um, when you're walking in pouring rain and you walk up to a, a fallen tree across a, a sidewalk, I, I couldn't walk around the base of the tree because the soil was so soft from all the rain that it just became mud. I couldn't walk around the top of the tree because the top of the tree was actually out in the middle of the street. didn't want to be hit by a car, so I had to, of course, do what anybody else would do and scale the tree, climb over the tree in order to get to work. So yes, I had to actually deal with a fallen tree in my path uh, this week going into the office. And I've, I've had positions where I've walked to work before everybody, but um, it's a pretty typical walk, but never had to deal with a fallen tree in the pouring rain. So <clears throat> very interesting. Uh, happy to get through that. And um, it was at least cleared by the end of the workday. So yeah, a little interesting and really looking forward to getting some drier weather here uh, very soon. Now, <clears throat> this particular episode um, our topic is actually going to center on tools that you can use to, of course, advance your career. I'm going to talk about a few tools um, that you may have already, you know, been using or be aware of. But at the same time, I also want to explain how I use those tools. And I also wanted to discuss the um, art of creating a resume site uh, for yourself, as well as working with staffing companies for your next opportunity. So, again, career advice is a big deal for us here at the Frugal Snobs. Again, it helps you become a frugal snob and maintain a certain level of utility. As I've said before, be well, never pay retail, treat yourself right. So in doing so, we we are looking forward to giving you as much career advice as possible on a weekly basis, some entertaining material, some decent stories, and some good blog content. So <clears throat> that being the case, um, so as I said, uh, focusing this week, we're going to focus on several tools that you may be aware of, but I'd also like to give some additional insights to how you can link your tools together to help you in your current career or when you're searching for your next opportunity. Okay, so the first thing I'd like to talk about this week in terms of tools that you can use as a professional um, really relates to certification and training. Now, it, in your role, um, I'm sure that you, of course, have a skill set that you always need to sharpen. As, as we often say in, in, in my industry, you always need to sharpen the saw, right? Tools always need to be honed a bit to help you do work better. And of course, your greatest tool, of course, is your mental abilities. So skill sets always need to be enhanced, improved, sharpened, um, and honed a bit. So to help you along with that, uh, many organizations, of course, do provide their employees with possibly training budgets or sponsorship toward getting a certification or uh, taking a course or attending a seminar. But in some cases, maybe you need to be doing this on your own. And it's okay. You can certainly do that. Uh, with a plethora of, of courses that are available online, but I did want to point everyone uh, toward a couple of sites. Now, all of the websites and apps that we talk about on today's episode, by the way, are not sponsors of the Frugal Snobs podcast. They are not paying us to talk about them. Um, I'm simply endorsing them because they're apps and, and sites and other services that I use that help me in my profession and in my career. So, uh, and when it comes down to training and certifications, um, there's a number of different outlets out there for everyone, and many of them are under a paid or subscription-based model. Uh, ITProTV.com, for example, is one of those sites where you would pay for a subscription model for access to courses. I believe it's on a monthly or annual basis. Now, of course, there's also uh, other paid models as well, but edX, edX.com, folks, 
uh, does provide some decent material. Um, it's pretty decent. Um, it is offering actually university level courses um, for absolutely free uh, in many cases. The only difference is in this case the material is free in terms of lectures, syllabi, etc. But you do need to purchase all the materials relating to the course as well as the text. So it's not completely free, but it does give you uh, access to a course library um, <clears throat> from a number of different universities and university consortiums. And again, taught by university faculty from, from universities such as the University of Texas, uh, from the University of Chicago, I believe from Florida. Florida State as well has some courseware there also, I believe. Uh, really interesting uh, model. Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a system by which you can enroll in courses at, at your will, but at the same time it's based on a semester basis, semester schedule, and you would of course have to purchase the materials and of course the text. So if you wanted to take a course in, for example, software as a service, or possibly the um, intro to cybernetics, for example. You can certainly do that at edX, among other courses. But again, you'd have to purchase all the materials <clears throat> as well as the text for the course. So keep that in mind if you'd like to be taking a course. Now, also, <clears throat> MIT, I believe, offers still offers their open courseware uh, site as well. That particular platform is actually available um, to everyone, and you can simply enroll in courses via MIT's open courseware. Take the course in a similar fashion to edX. Of course, you would, of course, be purchasing the materials and also the text. So a lot of courses are available um, for either free or low cost to you. And you wouldn't have to, of course, enroll in a degree program or an online degree program with a university for a one-off for courses to help sharpen your career, sharpen your profession um, and your professional capabilities. Uh, you do have a number of opportunities out there, including Khan Academy, edX, and, of course, MIT OpenCourseWare. <clears throat> so very interesting stuff. Now, when it comes down to certifications, um, of course, there are a number of outlets out there. There is Simply Learn, there's Learn Smart, there's a number of other entities. Um, however, believe it or not, Groupon, which I've talked about, of course, on this show, and I'm sure everyone's familiar with Groupon, and of course, it's the, <clears throat> it's the very popular service that allows you to purchase discounted coupons for restaurants or products at a huge discount, is no different when it comes to training. Groupon actually offers uh, very nice voucher systems for training and training models that you can, of course, purchase for a huge discount. So, for example, I just purchased the CompTIA or CompTIA Plus bundle, which is the Network Plus, Cloud Plus, and Security Plus certification uh, courseware uh, for, I believe, $60. And it's actually an over $4,000 value. So um, definitely check out Groupon for training. Um, definitely helps you to acquire courses that you need that, that are very affordable. And of course, these courses are being offered by entities that you may have heard of before. For example, my Groupon voucher was purchased for a Simply Learn bundle of certification courses. I've used Simply Learn in the past uh, for my Scrum Master certification, <clears throat> pardon me, which I just recently renewed, and it was actually a very good um, course, and also the workshop was fantastic. So again, for those who are not being offered a training budget, uh, one way for you to, of course, enhance your skills affordably is to, of course, um, go after your training and certification training um, via another outlet online, but again, at a discount <clears throat> and at the right price point. Now, keep in mind, you will still need to pay either full or a heavily um, or, or a heavy out-of-pocket cost in some cases for the um, certification exam. Now, of course, you can get vouchers that help reduce that cost by a percentage, but you'll have to watch out for those. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. As a training is only one step, the next step is taking the course um, and then, of course, completing the exam at the end of the course. So the, the exam itself will probably be full cost to everybody, so keep that in mind. But again, the training's not too bad, and it, again, gets training in your hands at an affordable cost without having to use a, a company budget. 
And if you don't have a company budget or sponsorship for training and certification, this is a nice way to get around that. So keep that in mind. Now, the next area I wanted to talk about is, is mo using mobile apps. Now, when I uh, transitioned from a sales engineering role at a company, um, I actually, before I came to my current role, worked for a very brief time at a mobile app development firm that actually designed a mobile platform where you could design uh, your app in a number of different platforms, basically across, I believe, seven uh, mobile operating systems and across, of course, several hundred models of mobile devices with a single click. It was a very interesting platform, very cool technology, but when I was being trained as part of my experience, um, I, a, a statistic stood out to me that people only use about 12% to 15% of their mobile device capabilities. And this is no different from mobile apps, everyone. Mobile apps can really help you with your productivity. I've seen many cases where someone will download an app or basically junk their phone with so many apps or so many useless apps that they use maybe once that really it, it, it hampers the performance. It, it hampers your satisfaction with the experience. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to say here is if you're going to be using your mobile device for productivity, I heavily and highly recommend that you <clears throat> pardon me, use your mobile only with apps that you're actually going to use. So if it's going to be expense reporting through Conquer or reading Word documents through the, the uh, Microsoft Office apps or using the Outlook uh, capabilities of the Microsoft Active Sync um, account capability on an Android device, um, by all means, if you're setting up uh, productivity via your mobile, understand what you're doing <laughs> before you go in to actually configure your device. So have a plan. So understand what apps you're going to be using. Are you going to be using the Microsoft Office apps? Are you going to be using Active Sync if you're using an Android device for your email? Are you going to be using the Exchange capabilities if you're using an iPhone or another iOS-based device? Um, understand what you're, what you're trying to achieve. And also then, I would also recommend that you adjust the interface of your mobile uh, so that it's optimized for productivity. And what I mean by that is there are some really nice launchers out there, especially if you're an Android user, um, that allow you to organize your apps very quickly via folders, have those folders on a set of screens or a home screen, and you also have a slider as well that you can use for your most frequently used apps. So it's a pretty cool experience if you find a launcher that's really good for you. But again, not only are you focusing on uh, deploying the apps that are most conducive to your your productivity individually, but also you should be also looking at the interface by looking at a launcher or a slider that might best work for you. So I would definitely suggest uh, leveraging your mobile uh, to make you more productive and um, also, again, reduce your, your workload and also improve the time that you can complete tasks as well. Now, as it relates to tasks, I did also want to mention that in the desktop environment, I see many people using so many different applications in their day-to-day -day work, but they don't understand how to fully use the capabilities of an application. And one of those applications that I believe everyone, of course, is familiar with is Microsoft Outlook. Everyone uses Outlook solely for email. I disagree with that completely. I use Outlook for many other things, including my calendar, of course, and my tasking. Now, task management is the unsung hero, in my opinion, of Microsoft Office in terms of the Outlook capabilities that it provides. So tasking allows you to create tasks, link them to calendar events, link them to emails for follow-up. And really what task management allows you to do is really to monitor and manage the day-to-day -day tasks. Now, we all talk about what tasks we perform every single day, but we never really sit down and look at the repetitive tasks or the tasks that can be cut out of our day. And the task manager inside of Microsoft Outlook will allow you to do that. Now, I use the task manager often for a number of different uh, endeavors. Now, often I, I split my tasks between customer-facing tasks and internal tasks. So what I mean by internal tasks are items that 
I need to perform from either an administrative perspective or from an environmental perspective. So a good example of that might be I have a managerial report that I have to create and send off to management. I have timesheets that I need to complete. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, I have um, other non-administrative capabilities that I need to, of course, exercise in my role that I'm being expected to perform, including uh, updates to internal environmental items or deploying new, new virtual machines or updating software. Uh, that's all internal tasking that is not customer-facing but needs to get done. So I use the task manager and Outlook to help govern that, that particular time frame of completing tasks. Um, and of course, I also use the task manager to identify and provide deadlines and due dates for customer-facing tasks as well. Now, in addition to that, I often color code my tasks as well. For example, all of my red tasks that are flagged as red are all customer-facing. All of my yellow tasks are internal. And of course, I can also assign not only due dates, but percent complete and, of course, a workflow to each of my tasks as well. So is the task not started? Has it been started? Is it in progress? Is it pending completion? Is it complete, for example? So, and of course, <clears throat> as always, um, by linking to other areas of Outlook, including the calendar, you can, of course, align a task with a calendar event in your sidebar, and it will easily tell you what tasks you have to complete that day. And, of course, you'll be able to see notifications and alerts on upcoming uh, tasks in terms of reminders. So. I think task management is the unsung hero within Microsoft Outlook, also within Office, and I think everyone should check it out. So if you are an Outlook user and an avid Outlook user, as am I, I would suggest that you check out the task manager. Now, when it comes to task manager, you can also, um, in a Microsoft Team Foundation server environment, be able to link tasks with projects via Microsoft Project. Now, <clears throat> anyone who's used Microsoft Project, particularly the product and project managers amongst us, amongst the listening audience, um, you'll be very familiar, of course, with Microsoft Project and a master project plan. What using the capabilities of Microsoft Project will allow you to do is not only to track a project as a project manager, but will also allow you to obtain tasking and statuses from all of the members of your team as it relates to the project by using, of course, Microsoft Project Server, everyone having the Microsoft Project client installed on their machine, and, of course, using Microsoft Team Foundation Server, um, as part of the process. So anyone in our listening audience who might be part of um, the network administration or sysadmin uh, function within your organization as your role, uh, definitely check that out in terms of Team Foundation Server if you haven't already. And for any MCSEs or Microsoft Certified Systems Engineers out there, I'm sure you're very familiar with the Team Foundation Server concept. So again, just a couple of uh, pointers there on apps that you can use specifically in the Microsoft environment. Uh, but of course, in the Mac environment, I'm sure there's a number of other capabilities uh, that I haven't mentioned that the Mac environment provides you as well. But, it all, but as always, I am a Windows guy. I'm a Microsoft guy, I have to admit. Um, now, and interestingly enough, I work in the Linux environment in my role, but I'm very heavily biased toward the Microsoft environment, the Microsoft stack, the .NET programming languages, etc. So sorry, everybody who's not a Microsoft fan, but again, it's, it, it's my fan base. So. I, I, I'm definitely a fan of the Microsoft environment. So, got to have a pretty GUI. <laughs> so, all right. So, that being the case, we've talked about using mobile apps. We've talked about using uh, the capabilities available to you online for affordable training and development. And we've also talked about desktop applications. But I also wanted to talk about uh, one other application um, capability that many people overlook, and that is password management. Uh, for all of the passwords that you have, whether it be for, your, for a system, whether it be for a secure file, whether it uh, be for, for access to all of your accounts online, 
one of the ways that you can really uh, improve the user experience for yourself and your day-to-day -day tasks and your day-to-day -day work life is to use a password vault, right? Now, a company that provides a decent password vault that many maybe uh, are aware of is LastPass. LastPass is pretty decent. If you haven't heard of LastPass, check it out at lastpass.com. You simply will go to the site. You can register. From there, you can then download the agent application, install it, and you can also install the mobile app as well on your mobile device. And from there, every time that you uh, encounter a website where you're going to be uh, providing a login credential, you would simply provide it. You can then you can then save that set of username and password uh, relationships to your LastPass password vault. So what this allows you to do is then save, of course, your passwords securely using AES-128 encryption, I believe, and that's, of course, uh, the Advanced Encryption Standard 128. Uh, for anybody who works in um, information security, you're certainly aware of AES-128. I believe it uses AES-128 encryption. Uh, for any non-geeks out there, what that means is basically it's a pretty decent uh, encryption capability and encryption model, um, very hard to break, and you, of course, can store all of your passwords uh, in your password vault, and from there, you'd be able to, of course, seamlessly um, surf the web in and out of your secured sessions with your, your different sites that you, would, that you would frequent without having to enter a username and password as long as your LastPass vault is active. So as long as the LastPass service is running, you'll be able to seamlessly surf the web without having to log in and out of different sites um, every, single, every single time or for every single session. So check out a password vault. Um, it's a very nice way to store your passwords securely. And of course, you wouldn't have to, of course, remember them as, as readily if you're using a password vault. That should help you out as well. Now, the two other areas that I wanted to talk about this week as my coffee cup, uh, my cup of coffee here is uh, starting to get a little more empty. And like I said, my rule is once my cup is empty, I'm out of here. So <laughs> the two other areas I did want to talk about this week are building a resume site and, of course, working with staffing companies when it comes down to tools. Now, I have talked about resume sites on this show in the past. I've also talked about using... Uh, optimized professional networks like LinkedIn to build a profile, um, which is almost like a resume that you can then, of course, send over to others to take a look at. Or if hiring managers or recruiters are out there looking, they're going to probably look at that profile. Now, I also wanted to mention um, that a LinkedIn profile, as I just stated, is kind of like a resume, but it's really not exactly a resume. For anyone out there that's looking for a new opportunity or looking simply to market yourself better, I would suggest working with a resume site. And what I mean by that is everyone uh, that I know, at least at this point, has a personal website, including myself. If you don't have one, I know everyone might be a bit daunted by it and may see that as a huge task or that uh, it might take a while to get set up and has, it takes too much time and you don't have that kind of time. It's not really that bad, everyone. All you would really need to do is really take two steps before you start designing your online resume. And there's a number of tools out there to help you, and I'll talk about that in a second. But the, really the two things you really need to do uh, to set up a resume site, of course, is to first go and register a domain. You can go to a number of registrars to do this. So you can register a web address, basically a domain. Uh, GoDaddy, aplus.net, uh, one and one. There's a number of domain registrars out there. They offer registrations typically as, as an intro offer for very cheap, a penny, 50 cents, a dollar US, um, very inexpensive for at least a year of registration. So take that opportunity to go ahead and register a domain for yourself, folks, or a web address. It's not hard to do. Go do the research, Google it, and uh, you'll probably find some decent registrars out there that will offer some decent uh, pricing to you to register. Once you've registered your domain, you would then, of course, need to get web hosting. Now, many registrars also offer hosting as a bundled package, um, but, if, if, but if you're not looking to, to take that approach, 
you can, of course, um, obtain some very inexpensive hosting through, of course, a number of different services. Um, Bluehost, HostGator, HostMonster, uh, GoDaddy, um, again, one and one as I mentioned before, all offer uh, hosting for a pretty affordable price on a monthly, uh, semi-annual, or annual basis. Um, once you have your hosting set up, you can then link or connect your domain to your hosting using the name server registration. I don't want to go into the technicals of it. It's pretty easy, though, and if you're not aware of how to do this, you can easily work with someone to walk you through it, typically from support. Once you have your domain registered, your hosting set up and connected, now you're in business to go ahead and start creating your resume site. Now, there's a number of different tools out there to help you. Many companies offer a site builder of their own to help you build a very basic page or basic resume. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking to build an actual site, I would suggest using uh, the WordPress content management system. I know there's a number of CMSs out there, but I personally prefer WordPress to simply do the number of plugins that are out there. really gives you the ability to build some pretty nice interface pages, a nice um, menu-driven site that's organized in a very nice way. It's database-driven, and it gives you the ability to build some really nice content uh, pretty easily, pretty quickly. And again, for any tutorials on WordPress, you can always check out YouTube and a number of other outlets as well. But to get down to the tax of the resume, so to speak, <laughs> I know many people are used to carrying a static resume or a PDF copy of their resume that's sent to a hiring manager uh, or a recruiter. Now, whether it's an internal or external recruiter from a staffing agency, they often ask for a copy of either your Word doc resume or your PDF. Now, in my case, I always send a PDF. I do not want a recruiter changing my resume, and I'll talk about that when we talk about staffing companies here in a moment. But really, in some cases, it's very hard to determine a sense of the person just from a PDF. It's a static, flat resume. One way to help your, your image and your marketing online, of course, with your resume site, is to build your resume site so it's more interactive. Now, of course, you do have some interactivity uh, built into LinkedIn, but really, you don't really extend it uh, beyond, of course, a couple of capabilities like dropping in a video or a link into your profile. With a resume site, you can drop in custom menus where you have uh, expanding and, and contraction in terms of different positions. You can drop in videos. You can drop in, in my case, I've dropped in on my resume MP3s of interviews I've done. So it's very uh, easy to determine my, my skill set, my capabilities, my expertise level and areas just by hearing me speak on an interview, which is all part of my resume site. So without even meeting me, a hiring manager or a recruiter can get a sense of who I am and what I've done, not just the text on a page. So definitely check out creating a resume site. You can also, if you're in the job market and you're really on the hunt, um, I've mentioned this before on this show, I would really suggest adding um, a social presence to your resume site uh, by adding um, a Skype uh, URL to your resume site. You can, of course, go out and Google Skype URLs. You don't have to be a developer or a web developer or a software engineer to do this, folks. It's very easy. If you use Skype, you can use a, use a Skype URL in your resume as a hyperlink. Um, for example, I have a link on my resume that says, Call Justin on Skype. You click it. If your Skype client's open, it will actually dial that person's Skype based on their Skype ID from the URL. So it's pretty cool. And it's very easy. They don't have to know your Skype ID. They can simply click through to give you a call. Now, of course, this does open up some risk that you're going to have recruiters calling you unsolicited. So use with care, but at the same time, I think it's a pretty cool option. Gives you some flexibility and gives you the ability to directly connect with companies that may have positions that might interest you. So check that out when you build your resume site. Uh, if you need any help with this or you'd like some more insight or some additional feedback um, or consultation, you can always send us an email at contact at frugalsnobs.com. And we'll be more than happy to assist you, 
help you out, point you in the right direction, or if you would like us to host your resume uh, site for you, we can certainly uh, discuss that as well. So again, send an email to contact at frugalsnobs.com um, and let us know uh, what you'd like to discuss, and we'll certainly be open to talking to you about it. Now, when it comes down to staffing companies, I said I would get to that point here, folks. Um, I think everyone needs to be very careful in, in terms of using a staffing company as a tool in your arsenal. Uh, staffing companies, folks, can be a little tricky. I've worked for a couple of them, um, and I have nothing against a good recruiter or recruiters that I have uh, working relationships with. But in many cases, <laughs> I can give a little bit of advice here. The first piece of advice I want to give you is if you're looking at working with a staffing company, be sure that you establish relationships with recruiters that really know their stuff. And why I say that is because I often have phone calls or emails coming out for urgent needs for a Java developer or a C++ um, architect or a solution developer or a security architect or a number of these different uh, academic titles, so to speak, in terms of technology and, and a technical space. But oftentimes, those positions don't really fit me based on my resume. It's typically because a recruiter has either gone through a talent acquisition management system, a TAM, typically, and has basically found my resume through a search on a job board. They basically farmed me into the system. They've done a keyword search, and simply because I have the skill of Java on my resume, for example, they assume that I'm a Java programmer. Well, I've, I've never been a Java developer. Do I understand Java? Sure. Can I create Java, small Java applications? Absolutely, I can. Uh, can I write scripts and methods for Java? Sure. I can write Javadoc-based comments as well for Javadoc documentation, but I'm not a Java developer, and simply because it was on my resume, they contact me. So be careful, folks, when you engage a staffing company. Understand that you should be working with recruiters that you can have working relationships with. If they take care of you and get you vended for a year or a two-year contract, they're very happy because, one, they're, of course, going to make a commission from you, and two, they know they can vend you to other companies moving forward. So it's in their best interest to align themselves with candidates uh, that can actually be placed. And second, it's in your best interest to only work with recruiters who you feel have your best interest at heart and understand their stuff. Now, the, the, the opposite of that is what's happened to most people, and that is you're often called by a recruiter for a position you're not interested in or that you don't fit with, but they'll spend their time talking to you. They'll try to get you submitted to the position. And keep in mind, folks, when this happens, this is because that recruiter really has no interest in you whatsoever in many cases. All they've done is performed an online search by keyword for you. They have a job order that's been provided by a vending company or client of their staffing firm that they need to fill. And by getting you submitted to that job order, it makes them look a bit more busy. And, of course, it, it, make, it improves their numbers for their management and also to provide to the, to the client as well for the company. So, in essence, be careful in who you work with, I should say. Um, many times, you're just a candidate um, that they really don't, in many cases, care about. And in some cases, all they're trying to do is just get you submitted to a job to appear busy, to keep their jobs, and, of course, to make numbers look better to their management and, of course, to their clients who have uh, gone to the staffing firm to be able to staff up and augment their own staffs um, beyond just what is covered internally in terms of internal hiring. So keep that in mind, everybody, when you work with a staffing company. Now, what I don't want is for anyone to listen to this show who knows a recruiter or is a recruiter and to send us negative feedback. I am not saying being a recruiter is a bad thing. All I'm saying is that I've worked with a number of recruiters. I've worked for two staffing companies. I've met good recruiters and not so good recruiters. So be very careful in who you work with uh, moving forward. I guess that's my point to everyone. So I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping up this week's episode. I've talked a lot uh, today, but I did want to give a little bit of um, info um, 
on the Apple for the Apple iPhone Forever plan from Sprint. Now, I did say last week that I was going uh, to provide some feedback on this plan this week with some research. Unfortunately, when calling Sprint uh, just recently, actually about five minutes before starting this recording of this episode, uh, we were unable to get through to speak to a representative of Sprint. So you do have my word that I will be providing feedback and any caveats on the iPhone Forever plan from Sprint. I'm very, very uh, intrigued by it, but also very skeptical. So any any information I find, uh, I will post out at frugalsnobs.com. It's a blog post, so be on the lookout for that. In addition to that, I'll also mention it uh, here on this on this particular podcast next week on episode 22. So that being the case, my coffee cup is starting to get a bit empty, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this week. I did talk pretty fast, everybody, uh, but I had a lot to squeeze into this week's episode. As I had mentioned before, thank you so much for the support. Um, in terms of our metrics this week, not only are we seeing an uptick in direct downloads of episodes of this podcast, including episode 20, which was the best episode yet for direct downloads, but we're also seeing a lot of global traffic and a lot of increased traffic from Australia. So for the folks down under, Ozzy, 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 I appreciate it, and uh, keep it up, guys. We're also seeing some additional uh, hits coming in from Canada, Mexico, Brazil, and of course the UK. So again, taking over the social media, taking over the podcast space, and of course taking over the airwaves on a global basis it looks like. So as always, thank you all so much for the support. We're really looking forward to it. We also surpassed our number of um, unique visitors uh, in September from August, so we're really happy with that. It's a month-on-month increase. That's what we were looking for. And we're looking forward to a really strong October. So that being the case, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here. Um, as always, you can find out more about us at frugalsnobs.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash frugalsnobs, on Twitter at twitter.com slash frugalsnobs, or at frugalsnobs. And of course, use the hashtag frugalsnobs, all one word, all lowercase, to keep the discussion going. Please continue to do your Amazon shopping through our affiliate link, our associate link at frugalsnobs.com, as I had mentioned earlier in the show. helps us out. Please be um, aware also that the PodTrack survey is out there for your survey enjoyment. It helps us collect demographic data to help align uh, sponsors for this show. So please do check out the PodTrack survey at FruitlessNobs.com by clicking on the podcast button. And of course, you can always catch uh, this particular show each and every single week, either by subscribing on iTunes or, of course, checking us out on Stitcher as well. And of course, if you're looking to uh, get your hands on images of all of um, the posts that we put out each and every single day uh, at the Frugal Snobs, you can check out a gallery of all of those images by going to Tumblr and checking us out at frugalsnobs.tumblr.com. And of course, if the audio version of this podcast suits you, but you'd like to see more of the Frugal Snobs, you can check us out um, by going to videos.frugalsnobs.com. That'll take you to our YouTube channel. And also, as I had mentioned, um, we were going to be moving forward with a donation model uh, for Frugal Snobs. Um, every little bit helps, folks. So we've now set up PayPal-based donations at frugalsnobs.com. If you go to frugalsnobs.com, scroll to the bottom of the page. You'll find a, do- a donate button there. And if you click on it, you'll be taken to a PayPal donate page. And you can, of course, donate an amount of your choosing. And we always appreciate any donations to the project. We're doing the best we can to bring the best content to you daily and, of course, weekly on this show. So donate donations to the Frugal Snobs Project are very much appreciated. That being said, my coffee cup is empty. So I'm out of here this week. As always, be safe, be well, never pay retail. I'm going to ride off into the sunset, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.
Hey everybody, this is Justin from FrugalSnobs.com. I hope everyone enjoyed episode 21, as always, of the Frugal Snobs podcast. Thought I would throw a little podcast extra out uh, this week by doing a quick drink review on The Rye by Terrapin Brewing of Athens, Georgia. I'm enjoying this brew in a Sam Adams Perfect Pint. One moment. Mmm. Oh. Very interesting rye taste. A little bitter. 5.5% ABV. And according to Christina, the illustrious producer of the Frugal Snobs podcast, she makes this all happen. Say hi, Christina. Hello. All right. So, Christina has said that this beer has a, what did you say, a deep golden brown color? Correct. Okay. Excellent. So, a deep golden brown color. This is why I always have a woman around, because they're very good at this whole color discernment thing. So, not a bad brew. I would definitely serve it very cold, probably about 40 degrees. does have that bitter rye taste to it. Um, I've had several rye brews in the past, so I'm not as much of an enthusiast of a rye as I am to a traditional IPA, but if you are um, an enthusiast of darker beers or thicker beers, especially now that we're heading into into fall and actually into winter shortly, it will be upon us, folks. It happens. Um, I definitely would check out some of these thicker beers. They'll kind of keep you warm, even though they're served cold in the winter. They're ideal. So, Nice head on the pour, um, nice thick composition, very rugged beer. I would probably have this possibly with some salty snacks or something crunchy, or even as a standalone. Now, I'm going to finish my rye as a standalone brew uh, this evening, but again, something salty or something crunchy might go really well here. I'd probably give it a four and a half snob rating. It's actually pretty decent. So, a four and a half star snob rating, not too terribly bad. And also, I did want to announce. That next week on episode 22 of the Frugal Snobs podcast, we will have the mythical Eric Johnson, who of course missed a previous opportunity to be a guest on our show. He will be joining us next week from Bradenton, Florida. He is a money coach, an entrepreneurial coach, and also a real estate investor down there in central Florida. So really looking forward to have Eric on the show. Hope everyone tunes in next week. Now before I go and right off into the sunset and finish my rye, I did also want to friendly remind everyone in a very friendly way that, of course, this show is not possible without your support. And also, we'd also like to humbly ask for any support you'd like to be able to provide, either through one of two methods. The first, as I have mentioned on many episodes of this show, is to do all of your Amazon shopping through FrugalSnobs.com. You simply go to FrugalSnobs.com, you search for your item using the Amazon search widget, click on it from the results, you'll be taken to the Amazon landing page for that item, and you would simply complete your purchase hassle-free using your standard or prime Amazon account. And in the process, Amazon does kick back a few bucks to us to help cover production costs of this show. So that is one method that you can use to help us out. The other is, of course, through a PayPal donation. Now, we've added a donate button at frugalsnobs.com. You simply go there, click donate, and from there you'll be able to enter in an amount of uh, your choosing to, of course, help us out on uh, covering the production costs from this show and also supporting the Frugal Snobs project. So again, all donations, all shopping through Amazon helps us out. So I just wanted to give everyone a friendly reminder that it's very helpful. So tune in next week, episode 22, big episode for us. We'll have Eric Johnson on. Really looking forward to it. Until then, be well, never pay a retail. I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Take care, and we'll see you next week.